everyone. Welcome back to episode two of Eat, Eat It Up. Wow. Okay. That was a good one, Sam. Yeah. Are we getting better or are we getting worse? I think we're getting, we have each other's timing down now. We, we can read each other. Yeah. We're in sync. <laughs> we're in sync. Okay. So today, as we hinted towards at the end of episode one, we are covering a massive scandal in 1970s America, which could only be Watergate. Go crazy. How relevant am I right? Literally. So before we dive into all of it, do we want to introduce our snacks for the day, Sammy? Oh yeah. Okay. So today I, I thought that I would kind of stick with the theme of um, America and so mm. this doesn't work. I was going to have you guess what I'm eating, but you already saw because I, w- I jumped the gun and showed you what I was you eating. Yeah. But, um, you showed your hand. First rule of poker, <laughs> don't show your hand. Mm-mm. First rule of cards. Go fish. Go yeah, f- cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so everyone, I'm going to give you a moment, audience, to think about what's one of the most American desserts in the world. Lock in your answer. I know what it is. Well, I know what I think it is. It's pie. <laughs> apple? Um, okay, so here's the catch. Okay. I did get an apple cream pie, and I also got a lemon meringue pie, um, just because those are my favorites that they were offering this week. Um, and by, should have started this off. I'm eating from, it's called the Half Baked Cookie Company. Oh, Biggest misnomer out there. They do great cookies, but you go for the pies. Mm. And they're incredible incredible pies i have to say they're based out on what is it nanaimo street i think but um the pies are incredible the specifically i stuck with the lemon meringue because that's like one of our favorites in the house we also love they do a pineapple meringue but they do like six flavors a week and i did think they weirdly had a cherry pie available this week and i was like oh cherry pie is like iconically american and happened to be nixon's favorite dessert apparently oh my gosh but I do not like cherry pie. Okay. I haven't tried their cherry pie, the Happy Cookie Co. But just in general, I was like, I know that I'm going to prefer like an apple and cream pie and a lemon meringue pie. So that's what I'm snacking on today. It's kind of like an F you to Nixon. It really isn't. He loves cherry so. pie. You're not You're interested. Like, Who cares, baby? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, well, today I have a power cookie. That's right. A power, a power cookie. cookie. I know. Okay. It's from Ministry of Coffee. It's the coffee shop by my apartment in mm-hmm. ottawa and i really like it they're like a local kind of chain oh um, love that. so they have good like baked goods so i went there um what's in make... a power cookie like is it a bunch of nuts and seeds you guessed it i don't know if you can see well oh. the listeners definitely can't see it's like kind of <laughs> coconutty chocolate chips it's like to me are it there cranberries like... in it yeah it's like a healthy but oh. also some chocolate it's like a healthy cookie obviously okay so sort guy. of like a nice trail bar that was made into a cookie form vibe? Yeah. Like, we'll see how it goes. I just was like, maybe I should try that as opposed to, like, a cupcake. I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm no shade to, about it. No shade to the cupcakes. <laughs> the cupcake community. And Maria, maybe should we tell the listeners, if there, any listeners out there didn't wa- listen to the first episode for whatever <laughs> godforsaken reason that could be, do, we, do you maybe want to give the listeners a quick overview? You know, we're having snacks and we're talking about history. How does this, what's the deal here? 
It almost seems like I should have roped that in earlier. No, hey, um, it's, there's, <laughs> we don't have to go linearly. There's no. like, people love nonlinear storytelling. They do, they do. So the whole point of this podcast, Eat It Up, is that we're a couple of friends chatting about history. So it'll be um, sort of the broad overview of a particular moment in time. We're not going to really get into the nitty gritty details of it. Just help you understand, help us learn a bit better. Um, and while we're doing that, because we are a couple of pals hanging out, we thought that it'd be really fun if we were trying out snacks from places that are local in our neighborhoods. Um, just because every time you hang out with friends, it tends to be like you're munching on something, you know? I love that. But that's that way, the premise. <laughs> we get a bite of history, bites of snacks. And what we more could you want? eat it up. And we eat it up. Boom. Okay. Full circle. <laughs> I love that. The listener, it's like they're clicking. It's like, yes. makes sense now. Yeah. Um, okay. So do we want to dive into it? Yeah, let's get this party started. Let's do it. Okay. So first off, a little bit of background on why I care about Watergate. It'll be very short. Then we're going to do the absolute briefest idea of what it was. Mm-hmm. And then we will dive into details because okay. it gets confusing. Okay. So basically, um, as I'm sure a lot of us know, Watergate is named after the building that it took place in. And Watergate, I always thought it was like a singular hotel. It's actually a complex, six buildings. Mm -hmm. And some of them are apartment buildings. Some of them are offices. Some of them are like hotel buildings. So it's like a whole mesh in that little area. And it's in Washington, D.C. And it's along the Potomac River. Real Mm -hmm. Housewives of Potomac fans. (laughs) um, And an area called Foggy Bottom. And (laughs) for any of you that know where I'm talking about, It is like a six minute drive from the greatest cupcake place of all time. DC Cupcakes is so close to Watergate. So if you ever happen, I was looking into staying at Watergate. Um, The rates are apps. I have to win the lottery to ever stay there. You can also stay in the room that it happened in. It will never happen. But um, if you're ever staying in Watergate at Watergate, go to the cupcake place because it rocks my world and I can't get them shipped to Canada. They don't ship out here. So little tidbit. Um, I love that that's like the landmark for you. <laughs> well, I looked at it and I was like, along the Potomac, foggy bottom. I was like, oh, like, I know where this it's is. It's all clicking in a place here. It's all clicking. Um, and um, Maria. Yeah. Yes. You keep saying, you said Watergate, that, you know, it's the building where it happened, where this happened. Yes. But what is this thing that happened? What is it? You're like, move it along. No, okay. no, no, no. I just, I'm just like, the suspense is killing me. So Watergate... There, sorry, did you know there's a thing called simple Wikipedia that's even easier to understand than regular Wikipedia? It's for dumb people like us. <laughs> and so I got this little blip from simple Wikipedia and it was actually incredibly helpful. This is okay. literally what I needed for the Holy Roman Empire. Yes. Throw back to okay. episode one. Throw back to episode one. True fans will know. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're doing simple Wikipedia absolute basics because I think it'll help you when you get lost in the details that are to come. Mm. You can resort back to this basics. It'll help out, give you, give you a base note of what we're doing. So Watergate was a scandal during and after the 1972 presidential election. At the time, the current U.S. president and Republican Richard Nixon was running for re-election against Democrat George McGovern. On June 6th, no, June 16th, 1972, Frank Wills, a security guard at the Watergate Hotel, discovered clues that seven former FBI and CIA agents 
had broken into the offices of the Democratic Party and George McGovern, who was based there because he was like the Democrat head, um, for the purpose of listening to phone lines and getting access to secret documents to aid in Nixon's re-election campaign. When these seven men were found, it turned out that Nixon was involved and he helped them cover it all up, potentially even being involved in hiring them and sending them to do this. And journalist Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein working for the Washington Post exposed the details of the scandal showing that Nixon could not be trusted and Americans began to see their president in a different light. On August 9th, 1974, Nixon resigned from office because he didn't want to be impeached and US Congress couldn't impeach him if he resigned. Following this, Gerald Ford, who was the vice president, he became president by default. He pardoned Nixon for all of his crimes. So Watergate, most basic in like a single line, was a failed break-in into the Democratic National Committee headquarters, which the Republican Party tried to cover up, and it led to President Richard Nixon becoming the first president in American history to resign from office. Honestly, he should have. I'm glad he did. (laughs) So I hope we all kind of could follow along with that. It was was a break-in. Yeah. that the Republican Party organized, they couldn't cover it up pro- properly, and it forced Nixon to resign from office. He's been the only one to do so, so far. And so the building was called Watergate. The building, the complex- That's the Democratic National Commission, right? Is that right? Yes. Okay. It's the Democratic National Committee headquarters. Committee headquarters. It's right. just basically the headquarters of the, the, the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Right. At least, I don't know if it's still there, but it was there at the time. Right. And so the break-in, so that's in, is that before the 72? So it's in 1972 that the break-in and stuff happens, but yes. he's, he doesn't resign until 74. 74. Okay, cool. Yes. And we'll kind of get into why, because essentially at first with the break-in, they didn't know that it was tied to like Nixon's re-election campaign. Mm. But as facts started to come out and people, especially those two journalists from the Washington Post were like, this seems like it wasn't just a break-in to break in and bug some things. It seems like there were deeper intentions behind it. And so that kind of spiraled and eventually led to Nixon having to resign. Oh, God, that's so bad. It that is, they did I that. Honestly, it is kind of crazy. Also, did you know, do you, have you ever watched The Simpsons, Sam? I might be talking to you. Uh, no, not really. Like okay. I, know, I know, like I'm now Lisa Bart, like Marge, okay. Marge. Mar- <laughs> Have you ever heard of Milhouse? He's Bart's best friend with the blue yeah, hair. Yeah, and yeah, glasses. Yeah. Richard Nixon's middle name is Milhouse. Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, fucking nerd. <laughs> that's honestly a testament. Like, you could have the nerdiest sounding name and you could still be the president of the United States. You could still be a baddie. And then resign. In a bad because, way. Yes, yeah. and then resign. <laughs> yeah, and resign because you're actually terrible. But... but yeah, I was shocked. I was like, I didn't look it up. I'm. Sh- Do you think... Let's not start conspiracy theories, but do you think that Millhouse is named after Nixon? I doubt it. Well, when did the Simpsons start? For me, it feels like they've been going on for years, but I'll look it yeah. up. December 17th, 1989. So that would have been way after Nixon. Like Nixon was around at that time. They oh, definitely named dead. him after Nixon's middle name. <laughs> well, they want to make it less up. Richard is a common name. Millhouse is not. Millhouse is not. That's true. So... Shout out to all the, the listeners named Millhouse. <laughs> Shout out. Okay, so let's get into the details. The nitty gritty. Now that we have a basic understanding. Can I jump in? Yes. This cookie is actually really good. Is it? Mm-hmm. There's okay. some 
It's like chocolatey a little more than I thought. So well, then I'm gonna talk about my pie a bit. Well, yeah, get in there. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to steamroll you here, but their crust at this place is unfreaking believable. Mm. My aunt always says because we normally get like pick up a couple slices and then pop by and give her one, mm-hmm. and she's like, it's just so buttery. She's like, the way they do that crust is unbelievable. So. I feel like normally pie fillings get the rave, deservedly so. Mm. The pie crust is such an important part of it. It's what separates kind of the the good from the excellent. Exactly. In the pie exactly. world. Okay, let's set the stage for 1970s America. Okay, yeah. Woo-hoo, party, party. So June 1971, this is a year before Watergate and the 1972 presidential election. Um, the New York Times published the Pentagon Papers. Have you ever heard of them, Sammy? I actually have. Okay, so you know they were like a pretty big deal. Well, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> no, like, I've, I've heard I've, of those words. I've definitely like heard the name, but I have okay. literally no idea what they are. To be fair, I hadn't heard of it ever before okay. this. So you're ahead of me on that. Um, but basically Thanks. the Pentagon Papers were the Defense Department's secret history of the Vietnam War. Mm, a war that was deeply dividing America at the time because you had some people who were like, we should not be involved in this war. It doesn't, there's no reason for us to be there. And others, Americans saying, look, like this is the only way that we can fight communism and we have to do this to make sure that democracy wins in this cold war. Um, So America deeply divided. These Pentagon papers were a massive deal and I cannot stress this enough because even though they only shared the actions of previous presidents in the Vietnam War, like up to that point, it was kind of like with Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson that it showed what they had done in Vietnam and what was happening. Nixon was paranoid that eventually details would be released about his illegal actions in Vietnam. And he had been doing things like he had been, he kind of took full power in Vietnam and didn't really care if what he was making were like democratically decided upon decisions. So he was doing things that were like not okay. Okay. Um, and these papers were a big deal because it kind of revealed that what Kennedy had done in Vietnam and Johnson had done were not great either. And the American public wasn't thrilled about it. Mm. So before Watergate, we're dealing with an extremely paranoid Nixon who even went so far, he tried to sue the New York Times for even publishing that material. And he also hired a team to search through the office of Daniel Ellsberg the former defense analyst who leaked these papers to the press. So a little bit of foreshadowing there. He's been so, used yeah. to Yeah, not <laughs> the first time people. he tried yeah, hiring people to Mm-mm. dig around for some papers. <laughs> so, um, so for Nixon, essentially, this kind of shows he was willing to do whatever it took to win and secure his presidency. Okay, so that's the background. America's divided on Vietnam War, Nixon paranoid. Mm. So launching into the details of the Watergate scandal. It took place on the night of June 16, 1972. On this night, seven men gathered in room 214 of the Watergate Hotel. Um, On the sixth floor of one of the hotel's six buildings were the Democratic National Committee headquarters, their offices. Um, And it's where Nixon's political rival had his office. And so essentially these seven men, they were going to break into these offices. They weren't just some random burglars though. You had two leaders, you had G. Gordon Liddy, who was a former agent of the FBI and was also on the official campaign to help Nixon win his reelection. And then you have E. Howard Hunt, a former agent of the CIA. 
And conveniently, Lydia and Hunt also both worked in the White House. So that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> this is on a good track so far. <laughs> so far, we're going up. Yeah. Um, the other five men, you have James McCord. He was carrying the bugs for the telephone. Um, and he was a former CAA employee who was also working on Nixon's re-election campaign committee. You have Bernard Barker, who is bringing cameras to take pictures of like some of the documents in those offices. Um, Virgilio Gonzalez, whose job it was to pick the locks. And Eugenio Martinez and Frank Sturgis, who were the group's guards. There was also an eighth man. No one ever mentions him. He really, poor guy. He's never really part yeah. of the crowd. Alfred Baldwin. He was stationed as a lookout across the street to let them know if cops were coming. Mm. And as we all know, he clearly failed at his job. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why he's not included, but. Just the audacity to try and do this. Like. It is. I, I mean, we'll talk about it at the end. It does seem nuts, so, but for me in 2021, I'm like, oh, that's unsurprising. Yeah. Um, so anyways, these seven men, they were hired by officials on behalf of President Richard M. Nixon. So basically the thing is, it's not like Nixon himself hired them, but people working for him did. Right. So you can kind of see the chain of command there. Right. Richard um, M. M. for Millhouse. <laughs> And so essentially the job of these men, they were going to bug the phones and take photos um, from these headquarters to provide information that could be used to secure Nixon's victory in the upcoming 1972 presidential election. Right. However, interestingly, this wasn't the first break in into these offices because only a few weeks earlier, these burglars had managed to break in. They took some photographs of documents and they planted bugs on two phones. The reason for the June 16th break-in was just one of the bugs wasn't working and they were going to replace it and try to get access to more information. So this is like, this is the thing I learned from Criminal Minds is that a crook always returns to the scene of the crime. You're right. You're right. Or like, is that, is that actually, that's probably not Criminal Minds. No, no. I think you're right. Like even like watching, they always say like for serial killers, it's like, look for someone strange at a funeral because they like to go to funerals. And so it's like, look for someone standing out who doesn't seem to have a relevant connection to that. I wish she didn't say that. That really disturbs me. I'm like, well, really? I'm like, yeah, freaking out now. Okay, well, proceed. You're going to be one of those people like guarding funerals now. Like, yeah, looking at yeah, yeah. Coming in. That's so, that's okay. That's bizarre. Um, it is but, haunting. That is haunting. Okay, sorry. So yeah, back okay. to so, so they literally went back because the bug wasn't working. They went back and it's like, you fools, if you can do it once, do not try and do it again. Like, yeah. But as you'll see, they were kind of all a bunch of, of dummies working this thing. So Lydia and Hunt, the two leaders of the operation, they were in room 214. They got to stay in their safe little space. And the other five men made their move. Um, and they had a walkie-talkie between them so that Lydia and Hunt, they could direct the break-in from a safe distance, but also let them know if, if they saw anything happening right. to like have them escape. Before they broke into the headquarters, one of the five men, he placed tape across the locks on the stairway doors on several floors so that they could have easy access to escape. It was to prevent the doors from locking, essentially. Oh, okay, I see. It would, uh, that was their critical mistake, was the tape on the doors. Okay. Because Frank Wills, a security guard at Watergate, he saw that like one of the doors in the garage level was taped open. And he was like, mm, that's weird. Yeah. He took off the tape. And he just kept doing his rounds, right? Okay. Well, <laughs> when he came back a little while later, he saw that it had been re-taped. 
Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> so he was like, something very clearly is going wrong Some here. Some kind of foot here. Hmm. And apparently he even, before he did that, he stopped and like had lunch or dinner or whatever. So he was not in a big rush. Yeah. But when he saw that retape, he immediately called the police. Right. So something is happening. The police car that arrived was unmarked. And the okay. officers were wearing civilian clothes, which is why the lookout, Alfred Baldwin, had no clue that they had arrived. Right. He couldn't warn them. And so the burglars, they couldn't be alerted in any way that they were about to get um, arrested. Yeah. So by this point, the burglars, they're in the DNC offices and they have turned off their walkie-talkies to prevent the static noise that comes from it so mm-hmm. that no one could hear them. That also meant that they couldn't be alerted <laughs> that people were coming <laughs> to their office. Right. Um, so when Baldwin finally saw that the officers were moving towards the offices, he called Liddy, one of the leaders, who tried to radio the burglars, couldn't get through. They turned off their walkie-talkies. So consequently, at 2.30 a.m., June 17th, the police entered the Democratic National Committee offices and arrested the five burglars, triggering the investigation into the biggest political scandal in American history. Wow. Boom. That's crazy. I love that. It is. Okay. And so basically these five men, they're arrested, right? But Liddy and Hunt are not connected to them, right? Mm. Like there's no way of connecting. Yeah, yeah. but they were scrambling to leave room 214. They were like, we got to get out of here. In that rush, they left behind critical evidence that would then link them to the burglary. Specifically, they left behind address books that had like their names written in them and also had like White House <laughs> beside it. So <laughs> you knew exactly where they were coming from and who was involved. It's um, literally like when you, um, <laughs> it's like when you are running late to like, a train or the airport yes. or something and you're trying to pack your bag and you like forget your socks something very quick brush right? but it's like but it's like that, yes that happened to me in grade 10 for like a swimming thing i left my passport at home oh my gosh and i was like you know me i almost literally had a mental yeah. breakdown in the airport but you're brave <laughs> anyways that's that's so embarrassing they left all that stuff it's just honestly one thing after another, like the retaping of the door, turning yeah. off the walkie-talkies, being in a rush to leave. Like we hadn't planned that this maybe might happen to mm-hmm. us, that we need to leave quickly. What's the backup plan, guys? It, no backup plan. This was the second break. It's like, you guys, you, yeah. had, you had the ability to not have this happen. Right. So anyways, uh, Nixon's administration immediately came under fire from the press. And in August 1972, Nixon gave a speech where he swore that his White House staff were not involved in the break-in. And most voters believed him, because that's what you did in 1972, is you believed what your president said to you. Right. And surprisingly, Watergate wasn't an issue in the 1972 election. The Republicans denied it. They were able to bury it. And reporters, they didn't have proof, videos, tape, documents, etc. So for the average American, they couldn't conceive that their president would be involved in something like this. They're like, he clearly wasn't. Right. But behind the scenes... Officials began planning an elaborate and criminal cover-up to try and actually hide the truth. And it would take the next two years to try and uncover what actually took place at Watergate and why. And essentially the objective of their cover-up was to ensure that no one higher up would be indicted. Right. Because it wasn't just Nixon involved. It was people like very important, like top staffers of the White House that had all been involved in this taking place. Right. But yeah, Nixon obviously was involved. And a few days after the break-in, he arranged to provide 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in hush money to the burglars. And Nixon and his giveaway. <laughs> Dead giveaway that you're involved. Literally, I also, I was listening to, um, there's a podcast, Political Scandals, they do one on Watergate. Right. I did find it confusing because they talk a lot about like the transfer of money and how this like linked back and all that. Right. And I didn't really understand it. The problem with Watergate is there's so many things were happening day by day. Right. That it's hard to keep track of it all. Yeah. So I scrapped out most of the money thing. This is all I'm going to talk about money today. Right. But, um, there, if you want to know more about the money side of it, I would listen to that podcast because right. they do talk about how the transfer of money could be linked to different parties, um, who participated. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but we're not a money podcast. We're not, baby. We're not an economic podcast. No, you're in the <laughs> wrong place for that. Oh, when I had to put us down as tags on like SoundCloud and Spotify, I was like, education like yes. we are we are dubbed an educational and learning podcast it's a generous use of the word education <laughs> like, you know what i mean <laughs> like we're educational ish it was just some of the tags were weird it was like comedy and i was like i don't think we can list ourselves like we have fun but to put comedy is a bold choice we're not that yeah we're not funny enough for that no so i did education but thank you nixon and his aides they also plan to have the cia impede the FBI's investigation of the break-in of the crime. And this was actually more serious than the actual burglary because it was an abuse of presidential power and deliberate obstruction of justice. And so by this time, some people, including Washington Post reporters, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, they're beginning to suspect something more serious took place than just a break-in. What time is this, sorry? Is this in like, this is after the 1972 election? No, sorry, we're not even there yet. We're not even there, um, okay. No, this is, I think, it's not, it might be like August, September-ish, 1972. Oh, okay. Like so even before green. the election, yeah. Even before okay. the election, yeah. Um, so people are a little bit suspicious. They're not really sure what's going on. And Woodward and Bernstein, they were the first report that Howard Hunt's name was discovered at the Watergate crime scene. And Hunt was directly connected to the White House. So I think this kind of started people's mindset that like, right. he's not just some rando. It's like these people are connected to the president. Right. And all throughout the scandal, the Washington Post kept people updated on the latest discoveries. I just say them because it is very important. There was a whole movie with Meryl Streep in it directed by Steven Spielberg called The Post. The Washington Post was major in this scandal. Like this is what made them a newspaper that was here to last. Right. Which is why I repeat it. Moving on, now we're in October. October 10th, 1972, the FBI establishes that the Watergate break-in stemmed from a massive campaign of political spying and sabotage conducted on behalf of Nixon's re-election campaign. That sucked for Nixon. Mm -hmm. So despite all of this going on, Nixon won the election in one of the largest landslides in American political history. <laughs> he took more than 60% of the vote, oh crushed God. his opponent, George McGovern. Mm -hmm. um, which almost seems like a lesson that you could learn that you can win without cheating. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it just reading this, like people who write on it are just like the irony of the fact that Nixon lost his whole career because of Watergate mm -hmm. when he didn't need it. Like it didn't matter. Right. So that shows his paranoia. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of 1973, next year, baby. Mm-hmm. Several top White House staffers resign. They're done with it. That's no good. Yeah, that's a sign. Now on May, 
<laughs> That's a red flag. And on May 18th, 1973, the Senate Watergate Committee begins its nationally televised hearings. And the big reveal, this is, this literally jaw-dropping, comes yeah. in July. A few of Nixon's aides testified in court that Nixon secretly taped every conversation that took place in the Oval Office. So you want evidence if he was involved? You got to get those tapes. That is paranoid behavior, <laughs> may I just say. But apparently it wasn't, it wasn't super weird that Nixon was doing this because mm-hmm. these tapes were something put in place since FDR's presidency. Like presidents had done this before Nixon. Oh, okay. Interesting. Nixon was the first though to get technology that would start recording by like, it was voice activated. Oh. So that was the bummer for Nixon. It was like, right. as soon as he started speaking, this thing clicked in. Mm, okay. So I didn't know they had that technology back in the 70s, though. No. It's like the precursor to Siri. And Siri even now will be like, call Sam. And she's like, who? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, dang it, Siri. You're like, me talking to someone and Siri's like, I didn't quite catch that. It's like, mind your business, Siri. Literally, we weren't talking to you. Even when I'm on a walk with Pebbles and I go, good job, sweetie. Siri kicks in and she goes, how can I help you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not talking to you, bitch. <laughs> Up. Uh, so um yeah nixon apparently had this technology that i still don't have access to right right (laughs) um so yeah the reason that he had this um it wasn't super weird that he had this recording system in place it's not like he was the first president right um but it was partly due to his massive paranoia Mm -hmm. that someone was out to destroy his reputation so he i guess wanted to be able to like hear conversations question mark i don't know um But basically, if prosecutors could get those tapes, they would have the proof that the president was involved in the break-in. And they could finally answer, what did the president know? When did he know it? Mm. Because it's like, oh, like if he, if he only heard of Watergate and learned about it, following it happening, then you could be like, okay, he clearly wasn't involved. Right. But the tapes would be the answer to that. Weirdly enough, five days after they found out that he had this recording system, Nixon ordered the White House to disconnect the taping system. Huh. So, once again, <laughs> what a red flag. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, during the summer and fall of 1973, Nixon struggled to protect these tapes. He was going hard to make sure they did not get out. Um, he even went so far as to fire the independent special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, who demanded he release the tapes. This was mm. kind of a big deal. People called it like, there's a special name for like, it's either the Sunday or Saturday that he did this. I don't really get it, but whatever. Archibald Cox being fired was a big deal because- Oh yeah, I've heard of this maybe. Yes, right? Oh, the Saturday Night Massacre. Saturday Night Massacre, which Cause he Because think... he fired a bunch of people, right? All of, I think, wasn't it? Yes. It was, yeah, the announcement of several people leaving yes. at the same time, I think, or something. Like well, because when he fired Archibald Cox, then the next guy in line, like, I think he resigned. And so they went to the next, next guy in line. Yes, that's and exactly so what it was. That, like, I honestly don't think you should be calling that a massacre if people are being fired. Right. Um, but that is what, it was a big deal because at that time, all the red flags that Nixon is tossing out, this kind of made Republican politicians, like the ones in Congress and everything, they're like, oh, if he's doing that, that seems to be a very bad sign that he's right. involved. Yeah. And obviously Democrats were already kind of like, oh, we're not so sure. Yeah. So this kind of showed 
revealed guilt on Nixon's part is what this did when he fired Cox. Right. And so by the end of 1973, Nixon finally agrees. He's like, I'm going to give up some of these tapes. I'm not going to give you all, all of them, but I'll give you some of them. Right. And despite that, the White House is unable to explain an 18 and a half minute gap in one of the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> and what day would that gap have taken place on March? It would have conveniently happened. I think it would have been from June 23rd when he was talking about it with people in his office. Right. <laughs> um, and the reason for this, ah, oh, what a dumb little girl. His secretary yeah. accidentally recorded over the tape. <laughs> oh no, that's so random. Oh, I no. do that all the time. That's the story they gave anyways. Right. Um, and so that's the end of 1973. We have this large gap that can't be explained properly. Yeah. At the beginning of 1974, the cover-up and efforts to impede the Watergate investigation begin to fall apart. Okay. And on March 1st, a grand jury indicted seven of Nixon's former aides on various charges related to the Watergate scandal. Yikes. So these aren't the seven men in the burglary. They've already been charged. They've done their bit. Right. These are seven people working in the White House who have now been charged. Right. Okay. So Different we're just in a minefield of red flags at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and in April of 1974, the White House released over 1,200 pages of edited transcripts of the Nixon tapes. Um, unsurprisingly, this didn't go well either for him. But weirdly enough, because at first when I said, when I like read edited transcripts, I was like, oh, it's like the gap in the tape skin. Like they're changing the words. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that really wasn't why it was scandalous or even if it was scandalous. It was because the American public got to see what Nixon was like behind closed doors because they could read right. what he was saying. Right. And the amount, instead of saying like a swear word, they would put expletive deleted. And right. there were so many of those littered throughout the pages. The right. American public became shocked by Nixon's pettiness and his foul mouth. Right. The 1970s was not a cool thing. Right. So you already had politicians back in 1973 doubting it. And now you have the American public being like, maybe he's not who he says he is. Right. Okay. So the, on July 24th, 1974, the Supreme Court doled out a unanimous ruling that Nixon must turn over all the tapes, thereby rejecting his claims of executive privilege. Right. And this, to me, wow. I was thinking about it. I was like, unanimous Supreme Court ruling, I feel, is nearly impossible to get. Yeah. On a very, like, controversial constitutional issue. Yes. Right? It wasn't like it was a completely a partisan, Democrat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So on August 5th, 1974, Nixon releases the tapes. And it provides the undeniable evidence that he was complicit in Watergate. Oh God. So this is now, so he, this is like the, includes the edited bit that was, or the lost bit that was removed earlier. Yeah. So I think okay. the most damning tape was one from June 23rd, 1972, where Nixon demands the FBI to stop its investigation into the Watergate break-in. Oh God. Gotcha. That was kind of the damning piece of evidence. And I think like he had been talking about it with someone and essentially it wasn't, it not only showed his involvement in it, but it showed him trying to cover it up. Right. Which was illegal. Obstruction too, like that, of justice. Yeah. Obstruction of justice. Yeah. <laughs> you can get impeached for that, just so you know. And boom, with Congress planning to impeach him, <laughs> Nixon resigned, and I love how they put it, in disgrace. 
on yeah. August 8th, 1974. You're like, that's a pretty good way to put it. That kind of hits the nail on the head. It's like, oh, he didn't do it, like, for family reasons. It's like, yeah. Buddy left with his tail between his legs. Yeah. Um, and on August 9th, he left the White House. Weirdly, I didn't know this. I, I guess I didn't, no one's ever resigned before him or after him, right? He didn't just, like, walk into a car and drive away. Right. He got into a helicopter with his family. Like, they flew off. And I was like, okay. what a majestic way to leave. And apparently when yeah. he left, he was smiling and he did his classically, apparently he used to do like this thumbs up, two arms in the movement to make the shape of a V for like victory. Oh, weird. He did like that and was smiling. And they're like, like, but it was anything but a victory. Yeah, you're, the, you're a loser. A loser, a disgraced yeah. president. Not even a loser, a bad loser, a cheater. A, bad, <laughs> a sore loser. A sore loser, yeah. Um. So yeah, Nixon is gone. Um, as I said at the very beginning, you might remember, uh, Gerald Ford became president. He was Nixon's vice. He right. became president. Um, and he did that awesome thing of pardoning Nixon for any crimes he committed while in office. But this was actually a massive classic, deal. <laughs> Republicans classically being the law and order party and then <laughs> pardoning the most corrupt oh. they've ever had. Okay. <laughs> but this was... This pardoning was actually a massive deal because it wasn't like, oh, like he's going to get charged for it. Like people serve serious time for what they did in Watergate. Right. Um, for instance, like Nixon's attorney general, John Mitchell, he served 19 months for his role. G. Gordon Liddy, who was one of like the leaders in the break-in, he served four and a half years. Right. It's like they did actual time. Like it wasn't just like they got a slap on the wrist and then like a charge, right. like a money like thing, but right. it was, it was serious. And yeah, Broke by Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein when the Washington Post told the story, they wrote that the break-in and bugging at Watergate were part of a massive campaign of political espionage and sabotage directed from the White House against the president's political opposition. And that is Watergate. So diving into the significance yeah, of Sam munches on his power cookie. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say in between bites, it's delicious. But Marge, why does Watergate matter to us now? It was, it was in yeah. 1970. Who cares? It, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> who cares? The haters are saying to you. This couldn't possibly be more important than the European witch hunt. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sound off in the comments, listeners. What's more important? <laughs> The witch hunt, super important, or Watergate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, I have two kind of like just small bits. Okay. um, And then one actual like proper reason why it's still relevant. Okay. So small bit, it's like the reason I'm sure a lot of us have heard of the term Watergate and not really known what it is, is because it's become synonymous with political scandals. Mm. And apparently I don't like... I don't know of any um, political scandals that have done this, but apparently there have been lots that since Watergate, they end with the word gate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like kind of related back to, I can't think of any off my head. Like Can you? Even Pizzagate, where, again, not to go off about QAnon, but Pizzagate, which is a, <laughs> a precursor to QAnon. People often think it's QAnon, but it's been incorporated now into QAnon. But Pizzagate right. was this idea that John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's, campaign manager for the 2016 election was running a sex trafficking ring out of comic ping pong pizza shop in dc out of the basement (laughs) like literally these people came up with this random theory that 
Um, oh. There was a, a sex trafficking ring ran out of the basement of this pizza shop. And it was called Pizzagate? Yeah, Pizzagate. And they thought that the Democrats were behind it. And this store literally, because the owner of the store was linked to the Democrat campaign. And they right. literally didn't even, didn't have a basement, but a guy showed up with a gun. Like these rumors have been oh. circulating online, but this oh guy showed up with a gun and tried to like rescue these kids. And then he was arrested, whatever. And it's yes. seen kind of as one of these precursors to QAnon, but they mm-hmm. call it Pizzagate. Oh, okay. So yeah, I... The I'm QAnon sure people call it Pizzagate, I should say. Like the, the QAnon people are like, Pizzagate, like it's just this scandal. Bucket. You're like, my QAnon community calls it. Yeah, we call it in our circles. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, it's become essentially that term gate at the end, I think is pretty common in like a lot of um, political scandals or like scandals in general that happen, even mm-hmm. if it's more joke, not that that was a joke, but even if right. it's like more silly and stuff, it, it still applies. So you have that, it's become synonymous. The second one is that I just want to know the backstory of a Meryl Streep movie because I felt it was important. Um, I would recommend, I saw that movie without having any knowledge of Watergate, like other than the term. Mm -hmm. And it's a brilliantly done movie. This is Mamma Mia? (laughs) Watergate's actually the background for Mamma Mia. You're like, boom, little did you know. And Mamma Mia too. T-O-O. <laughs> Nixon actually moved to the island in Greece where it's filmed in. <laughs> I love that. Um, sorry, it's called The Post. It's directed by Steven oh, Spielberg. Right. Um, and you basically, Meryl is playing the woman who I think owned Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And I think she had to make the critical decision, are we going to post these stories? Because it could destroy us. Mm-hmm. And so that. even, yeah, it's kind of, um, I don't, I haven't watched it anytime recently, but a few years back, it seemed like to be a very like, pro-feminine movie about like her power and her willingness to work in this environment of men and make hard decisions right so would recommend cool i love that um and actually i think the the singular reason why watergate is so important to this day is because it created a shift in american public opinion towards their government and the president so nixon essentially created an atmosphere of cynicism and distrust Mm. You had tons of Americans, they were already upset over the outcomes of the Vietnam War and the truths that came out from the Pentagon paper about America's actions. They're still living with the shock of Kennedy's assassination, assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Right. And so Watergate was really just this sour cherry on top. Right. And Nixon's actions were not only like a direct violation of the constitution because in the fourth amendment, you're prohibited against like unwarranted searches and seizures. Yeah. He also tried to defy and overrule courts in, cro- in Congress by denying them the information that they required. Right. And he tried to make the president unaccountable to other branches of government, which is not how a democracy works. You need checks and balances. Boom. We say it all the time. That red yeah. tape, baby, she's there for we a reason. Need a, we need a check <laughs> and a balance. That's so, um, so I like, I guess it's tricky because I think especially in the year 2021. Mm-hmm. Watergate doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You're just like, okay, like right. a president did some bad stuff. We're kind of all used to it at this point. Like it's not, it's not out of the ordinary that someone would do that. Right. Um, but at its base, Watergate involved Nixon wanting to be a political rival. And so he hired people or like his officials hired people to sneak into the rival's office in order to record conversations and steal secret information. And kind of at that point, it, it was a massive deal because Americans, you know, like you have Lincoln and Washington and the, 
these figures like Kennedy, you had FDR, they're all kind of held up in high esteem in American views. Right. That it really felt like presidents were doing what they thought was the best for their country, for the citizens. Right. And, and seen so, as like a moral, like seen generally yeah, as moral upstanding. Yeah. Exactly. And like, even if you disagreed with what they were doing, it didn't mean that you discredited the presidency. Or if they made mistakes, it wasn't like they intentionally did so to harm others. It just seemed as if like it was part of the job and they were working to do the best they could do. After Nixon though, I think that idea kind of shifted. And I think I didn't look it up, so I can't guarantee the numbers on this, but like, as we know in recent years, like there is voter decline, especially amongst young people. We are a disillusioned group. We don't believe that our votes will actually have any relevance to what's going on or that will, they will make an impact. Right. And I do think that that idea that the public is not really able to control what the president does and what his party does. Right. Um, it's an ideal that kind of started with Nixon doing all this because people were shocked that the president could even be involved in something like that. Right. It's Nixon's fault. I didn't vote. <laughs> I'm like kidding. I, 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 I did vote. I did vote. I did like, vote. I did you vote. can't cancel me. But maybe on the flip side, that's good. Because, you know, glorifying yeah, I... leaders also has its has many. <laughs> what has that ever been harmful? Yeah, I know. So it's like, maybe, maybe that's actually a good thing. That, not good. Yeah. Like, not that, not good that we have less faith in our democratic system, but like good that uh, we're critical of yes. uh, people in power and the harm they no. do, at least. No, I think that's true. Like, the, the downside is that people don't think that their votes have a say, but mm-hmm. the upside is really that we are critical and maybe um, hold people to a, a somewhat higher standard being like, we are watching and we are, we right. are trying to take part in what you're doing. We're not just blindly believing that right. you're going to do what's right all the time. Right. So yeah, there's, there's that too, that it's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. But. I mean, it hasn't totally worked with the whole, if you look at, you know, <laughs> People saying that yeah. it was actually Antifa who stormed the Capitol and not Oh, but it was Trump so. supporters. Yeah. <laughs> it's imagine? like they literally all live streamed it. It's like there's okay. proof of them being like <laughs> it's not oh. Antifa, but I'm I guess we'll see what happens this Wednesday, eh? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, we're recording on Sunday, January 17th. So Yeah. Before when this comes out, it's like the it's inauguration already gonna be will have happened. Baby. Yeah. Oh god. Well, let's hope um, it goes better than Jan 6th. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. But <laughs> anything on a super high note. Super positive note. I love this. Well, Sam, well, cool. we wrap up, yeah. um, are you going to recommend, what is it, Ministry of Bakery? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, heck yeah. I would, re- I would definitely recommend Ministry of Coffee. I didn't get a coffee from this time, but they have really good coffee. And the power Ooh. cookie was actually delicious. It looked too healthy to be good. But it was actually yeah. good. So I've okay. got to give them credit for that. Do you normally, have you ever tried their other baked goods? Are they good across the board or? Usually I just do their coffee. So I okay. never, but I was like, I was going to try. Yeah. So how would you recommend? Well, I mean, I kind of know the answer to this, but would you recommend? No, I would. Yeah. They're so lovely. The half-baked cookie coat, it really looks like a hole in the wall. Sam's been there. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't look like anything, but they've been featured in the New York Times. That's how good they are. That's crazy to me. Like, <laughs> it's like this little shop in this van. Um, and like, they're just so lovely. Like my dad and I went like every weekend this summer. It was like our way to get out of the house was to go and grab a couple slices of pie. 
and they now know us by name. They know what I'm studying, where I work. Like over Christmas, we didn't come in time to pre-order a pie, but they were like, oh, like you're valued customers. We have it on the back. It's okay. And so it's just like, it really is like a little community place. And I love going there and highly recommend. They're, they're the place that I will go to above all other dessert places in the lower mainland. Okay. And that's a big deal, folks. Okay. That's Because <laughs> Maria knows her stuff. She knows the lower mainland. So that is a big, that's bigger than the New York Times profiling them. I'm going to be honest. The fact that I will drive about like 45, 50 minutes each way just for a slice of pie. (laughs) Says a lot. That's big news, baby. It is. I love it. Okay. Well, Sam, do you know what you're covering next week? Do you want to give hints? No. Um, (laughs) No, I don't. I'm just going to be honest. I don't even have a topic. Okay, cool. So that's just... I'm being, I'm putting my, wearing my heart on the sleeve. I don't have a topic, but <laughs> I'll have one by next week. Let me tell you. Okay. Well, okay. we'll see you all next week. Thanks so much for listening. As always, if you have any feedback for us, positive mm-hmm. or negative, please let us know. We prefer yeah. positive, but negative, hey, it's good. To, not negative, constructive is good. Too. Constructive. Yes. And if there's any topics that you're interested in us covering, mm-hmm. please also let us know. We're happy to cover them. Exactly. And um, there was one more thing I wanted to say. Oh, yes. Um, we are now on Spotify. So we have our SoundCloud link in our Instagram bio. But if you have Spotify, you can easily access us there, which might be um, easier for some of you to download. So, yeah. And we are waiting for approval on Apple Podcasts. So yeah. we should be up on Apple Podcasts shortly. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>